1: all right welcome back hey y'all this is episode 103 what can you believe it we don't look a day over 99 oh my god thank you <laughs> um all right so this is going to be part two of a two-part series sure so don't don't start here no if this is your first time we are so glad you're here scooch back to yeah go back yeah and uh, everybody else welcome back. We're going to jump back in. So last time we talked about the mysterious death of Kathy Wangler, and we focused last episode on really the history of the Wanglers and their marriage how we got to this yes, yes point. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the investigation, the trial, and kind of where things are today. So you know, let us do that now. <laughs> okay. So on the night of September the 3rd, Mark had been sleeping in the first floor master bedroom. Kathy was sleeping on the second floor in Aaron's old bedroom on a blow up air mattress. That's so shitty. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He's in the bed. She's in the air mattress. Uh, okay. Because of if, her snoring? Right. If it was a couch type situation, there have been many couches that I sleep sometimes better on or yeah. I can have a good night's sleep Air mattress is never. It's a no-go That's for never going to happen. No. And it was, like, pushed up against the wall. Like, that could not have been comfortable. Yeah, it just kind of seems a little rude that yeah. he was on the... Surely to goodness... Well, I was going to say surely to goodness they could have afforded another... Maybe not. Mark says that the fact that he survived this night is purely based on luck. He said that earlier in the day that day... Kathy had caused the master bathroom toilet to overflow. So he had opened the window and turned on a fan in an attempt to air it out. And later, when the police went through the house, they said that there was a wet spot on the floor and a sulfur-like smell in the master bedroom. So, or in the master bathroom. So that does corroborate why he would have happened to that night have a window open with a fan drawing the air out so that he was exposed to fresh air. Mm Mm-hmm. Quiet a coinky-dink though. It is, yeah. Because Kathy was sleeping upstairs. She's in an enclosed room with the door closed. And it was like, it was a gas chamber. I mean, it's horrible. When the alarm went off, Mark said he was making his way through the house. He said he felt woozy and disoriented. He said he was nauseated, and at some point he threw up. He called 911, and he started CPR. And he said that once they got to the hospital... The emergency team worked on Kathy for only six minutes before declaring her dead. He called his sons, Nathan and Aaron, and Nathan and Aaron both said that his dad was so, or their dad, was so hysterical, they could hardly understand what he was saying he was crying so hard. Mark was questioned at the time, but was never charged with anything. His belief, or assumption, was that the hot water heater that they had, which ran off natural gas, had malfunctioned. So according to Mark's brother-in-law... The hot water heater was in a, like, little closet kind of area. I feel like you see that at apartments, you know? There's that, there's that little door that has the, it's almost like a shutter. Oh, yes. Um, so that it's vented a little bit. And that's usually where your hot water heater is. Yes. Um, so the, the little area that theirs was in did not have those little shuttery looking doors. I don't know what they're called. But um, it was just closed off. So his brother-in-law said the hot water heater was in a closet. It did not have proper ventilation. And the police did a forensic examination of everything that ran off gas in the house. So they did, I think they had the furnace, the hot water heater, and the fireplace. Those were their gas appliances or whatever. And um, they said that they found no issues with any of them. None of them seemed to be malfunctioning. None of them seemed to be emitting too much carbon monoxide. Like, they didn't find any issues with anything. But, because oh, some man. people are like, he's trying so hard to push it to the hot water heater. And then other people are like, but he didn't know of any other reason why the carbon monoxide would go off. So that was his guess. It's not him saying for sure that that's what it was. That was his guess. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Okay, Dan. Okay. Yeah, either one. Take, take either one. People who knew Kathy did not believe that Mark was behaving appropriately for a loving and grieving husband. He was also known as a really stoic person, so, like, that, the Rodney guy who had talked to Kathy on Friday said at her funeral, Mark was his normal stoic self. He showed essentially no emotion, Um. and he was like, it just didn't, he just didn't look like a loving, grieving husband, like, the way he said stuff and whatever, and my thought there was he maybe wasn't a loving and grieving husband, you know? I mean... Again, because we've, we've talked about that behavior after, how it, that's so difficult to gauge. Um, and if they were in the state that they were in, that they were basically like, this is our last ditch effort, like, whatever happens, happens. If we're not supposed to be together, then I don't want to be together. Like him saying, I place our marriage on your altar. Like, whatever you decide right now, God, is whatever can, needs to happen. mm mm-hmm. um, Maybe he was ready to move on. I don't know, and but... that doesn't necessarily mean that he killed her, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that alone is not enough. But, like, the people from his church said that he was really broken up. and well, and when he called the kids, he was hysterical. yeah, and I think there's sometimes that that element of shock, you know, sometimes it takes a while for stuff to set in, totally. And then sometimes you get it out and then you go back into shock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And he went back to work, I think, like, three weeks after she died. And some people said, you know, he kind of got back to normal. But again, it's like, you you can't not work forever if a spouse dies. Like, it's very, very unfortunate. It's very difficult to get through. But sometimes you just need to get back into doing things so that... Take your mind off of it. Yeah. And, and yeah. also, like, you have bills to pay. Right. You know, people Who's aren't going to look at you and be like, okay, well, sorry your wife died. You don't have to work anymore. Right. Like, you know, so those two things I don't say mean one way or another, I guess. I'm not putting so much into that. Well, that's purely circumstantial and just like, oh, well, I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know. Now, here's something that you could take. Tell me what it is. As as maybe inappropriate. Motive or something. Sure. Mark is now remarried. And his wedding day was 14 months after Kathy died. Uh Oh. He is now married to a woman named Esther. And she is a psychologist with a PhD. And she was apparently on staff at the hospital that he was an anesthesiologist at. They had known each other for a very long time. They had kind of fallen out of touch. They had reconnected. At the time that Kathy passed away, her husband was leaving her. And they'd been married a long time. Um... He had decided to have a sex change operation. So he wanted to become a woman. They're no longer together. And so she said they kind of leaned on each other. They were both going through a hard time. They started a romantic relationship. There are people that say they were having an affair before Kathy died. They both deny this. I don't know. But the fact that they got married 14 months after Kathy died, like... That's interesting. Yeah. It's a little interesting. Very soon. That's really soon. You know, not saying that you have to, you know. Right. You can never move on, but it does seem soon for a marriage to happen, especially when they were both going through such big things as divorce and a spouse passing Or passing away. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, do you want some time to recover from that at all? I don't know. It just... It seemed a little soon. Yeah. Mark, maybe Mark is just somebody that keeps it moving. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And I guess you could flip the coin and say if they were that unhappy in their marriage, then emotionally, maybe he had already moved let go. Yeah. And so by the time he came back across Esther, it was like, I'm ready to date again. I don't know. Um, But in the 48 hours thing, Esther was like, He's my anchor and I'm the wind in his sails i don't i don't know how to feel about that <laughs> yeah sloan wrote and then you sloan the threw up <laughs> my wings. yeah it's like okay we get it you're in love like yeah whatever okay i don't know that stuff like that i'm like who are you trying to convince here yeah exactly like could you imagine if i like met somebody at a party i'm like this is andrew he is my anchor and i am the wind in his sails they'd be like okay <laughs> <laughs> they would be like hey don't talk to her yeah (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to meet her move on (laughs) like whatever so i don't know um at this time mark thought the case of kathy's death was closed but it wasn't closed. wishful thinking there mark a little bit so esther and mark started traveling around um and doing mission work they went to zambia i think she said okay and they did a lot of mission work there they thought everything was great and then they come back home and they find out that like one of her sons said that detectives had been calling and all this stuff so they get back and mark ended up being indicted on kathy's murder so this is three years after and he probably thought he was like home free oh yeah yeah three years goes by
0: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at LinkedIn.com spoken. That's LinkedIn.com spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: The case had never been closed. It had never been officially ruled, I guess, as like an accidental death. Um... The detectives were really suspicious about the coincidence of the fan and the window open in Mark's room. Like, what are the odds? That the same night. The same night that carbon monoxide fills your house with seemingly no cause. They can't find, they can't go back to a a cause. Yeah. Yeah. And he continued to live in the house after that. So, if... The fire department, the police, everybody goes in and they're checking everything and they're like, man, I can't find a reason that this happened. You're like, well, probably won't happen again. Yeah. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. I'll go back in and I'll trust this home while I'm sleeping and I have, and carbon monoxide is odorless. I have no way of knowing. I'm just going to say it's fine. Like, whatever. It seems very weird. Um, they were also concerned about the nine one one call and Mark's behavior and tone. They said that Mark had to be told by the operator to check that she was breathing, to check her pulse. Um, but then at trial, you know, Mark did have carbon monoxide poisoning somewhat as or well. Yeah. So you, that would make you disoriented and stuff like that. So you know, but nevertheless, there's suspicious of this while mark and kathy's sons never doubted their father's innocence kathy's mom and siblings knew mark was responsible and her friend sherry too and i think rodney they all pretty immediately were like he fucking killed her yeah and sherry actually ended up calling the police department and was like i really think you need to look into this because i really think he had something to do with it i don't think it was an accident the general consensus was that he was a man trained in putting people to sleep so of course he could set it up and make it look like it was an accident.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Kathy's mom said that Kathy is dead because of money. In 2007, 4 months after Kathy died, her family got so frustrated with the police that they started to take things into their own hands. So they said that they pretended to believe Mark and to like get really close to him and be like you know, we support you, we're so sorry that this happened, and, like, you know, you poor thing. I get it, yeah. yeah. But they started keeping notes of everything that he did. They would write down everything he said, everything he did. Um, one, of it, one of Kathy's sisters said that he was fake crying at the uh, funeral. Um, Kathy's mom said that they were driving into the cemetery for Kathy's funeral. And Mark made a joke that was like, oh, people are just dying to get in here. Ha, ha, ha. And she's like... Inappropriate. Oh, my gosh. We are here to bury your wife, my daughter, and you're making jokes? Like, they said that he got rid of all of her stuff. He changed his story about her death, um, about what happened. They didn't give specifics about that, though. So I don't know what they what they're saying he changed it to. Like, what the inconsistencies are, but they said he changed the story. And then he said he didn't want to be buried next to Kathy, and then he didn't care where they buried her. Old. Know. Yeah. The sheriff's office assigned a detective to investigate the case. His name is Clyde Breitigan. He went out and interviewed a bunch of people. He said, like, 80 to 85 interviews, and learned about the train wreck that was the Wangler's marriage. Brightigan said Kathy... Kathy and Mark were equally evil to each other and would do things just to piss the other one off. So they were definitely in a state of, I'm going to hurt you, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Like, it was a cycle. In the renewed investigation, they determined that the faulty hot water heater theory did not hold up. Uh, Sloane said it didn't hold water. See what I did there. Mm-hmm. Good one, girl. The house had been examined and tested after the incident, and they didn't find anything to be malfunctioning. But Bridegan was also puzzled by Mark's lack of anger after his wife died. They said that, or he said that if it had been him and his wife had just died because there was an appliance that malfunctioned, he would be furious with somebody, like, calling the company being like, well, who installed this, um... How did you install it? What are the records? You know, did you do something wrong? Was there a recall we didn't know about? Like, why Why did this happen? And we can't find a reason, but something happened. Like, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to know what it was. And again, like, it's a colorless, odorless gas that can be emitted. And you're just like, I'm just going to trust it's not going to happen again. It's right. Very strange. And of course, a lot of people thought he would know how to do it because of the anesthesiology. So they asked him if he knew about carbon Monoxide. And Mark said in the interview, he's like, no, that that doesn't come up in anesthesiology. Like, we don't use that in any way. Um, But they talked to Mark's medical partner and they said, he said, that's a lie. He said that actually Mark Wengler is a master with gases and was trained in the old school techniques of anesthesia where they use gases and carbon monoxide was definitely something he knew a lot about. Uh oh. Yeah. The investigator noticed that the Wanglers had plenty of sources of carbon monoxide in their garage. So while the house didn't have that many sources of it, and all of those were checked and vetted, the garage had two cars, a generator, a snowblower, and a lawnmower, as well as a large camper and another car parked in the driveway. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. It was thought that the gas traveled through the house in their ductwork, but Mark's defense attorney, Chris McDowell, said this is baloney. And I mean, he is Judge Judy pissed about it with <laughs> baloney. Yeah, with the baloney. Like, he's like, okay, the hoses in the Wangler house were the typical hoses found around any house. There was a garden hose. It was tested. It was clear. There was no carbon monoxide found in it. He was also adamant in Mark's innocence because he believed it would be Impossible for the gas to travel from the first floor garage downstairs to the furnace in the basement because gravity. So I did talk to our friend who is a firefighter, and he said that carbon monoxide doesn't it doesn't settle high or low. Like it's not one of those things that it always settles higher, always settles low, kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it says it doesn't sink or rise, it mixes with the air inside the home. Yeah. He said CO will displace oxygen and kill by asphyxiation. It attaches more readily to hemoglobin than it does to oxygen. And he said the specific gravity of CO compared to oxygen is not much different, so it will mix and not settle high or low. And the scary thing about it is the molecules of carbon monoxide are so small that they can easily travel through drywall. God, that's terrifying. Okay, we've got to get some, we've got to get some alarms in, up in here. They also said that, because I guess the state's theory involved the furnace, and so if you, if you watch either of these, well, I think it's actually only 48 hours. Anyway, if you watch that, you'll see there's like this metal piece on the furnace, and there's a bunch of screws around it. So you'd have to unscrew all of these things and attach the hose, and then before the cops get there, screw all these things back on. So he's like, how would he have had time to do that? Um, Breidegan got a search warrant that allowed him to get sections of the ductwork removed from the home and test it for microscopic exhaust residue. The lab determined that something had been introduced at a high rate of speed over a short duration of time. Lab testing later determined that the soot in the ductwork was consistent with soot in engine exhaust. Mark's defense attorney, Chris McDowell, thinks this is also baloney because he believes that if this had been the case, Mark would have been found dead inside the furnace because he's like, if he's standing there and opening this and attaching all these things and having to breathe all this shit in at the source, would he not just fucking die? (laughs) Is there a gas mask present? I mean, nobody mentions one in the case, so I'm assuming not because if there had been a gas mask, then I feel like that would have been a a smoke gun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Other professionals tested the house for carbon monoxide directly after the incident, and a local firefighter entered the house after Kathy was taken to the hospital. He went to the basement to measure the CO levels. His first reading in the basement was 50 parts per million, which is considered low. Mid is 51 parts per million to 100, and high is greater than 101. After this reading, he left the house to get protective gear on. When he returned, the level was 35 to 30. At approximately 6 a.m., he closed all the windows in the house and waited till about 7, 10 a.m. to measure again. At this time, the levels were 15 to 20 in the basement and 20 to 25 in Kathy's room. Then he went back to the basement and tested near the appliances. All the appliances were giving readings of about the same levels throughout the basement. Also on the morning of Kathy's death, Jan Zuber, a customer service representative from Old Dominion Gas Company, came out to test the house and attempted to locate a source. She closed all the windows and doors and ran the furnace and water heater simultaneously and then measured the CO levels throughout the house while they were running. Her highest reading was around three parts per million, which is normal. You know, right around, hovering around the zero is where you want to be. She also checked the furnace and water heater for malfunctions and found nothing. She did note a code violation on the water heater for height for the flu outside the residence, but they didn't think that that would have anything to do with the carbon monoxide levels. All the appliances were also checked by, other, by another professional that day and found to be in working order with no unsafe CO levels detected. The professional also noted the code violation with the flu not being high enough. They, they checked it out. Like, that day they checked it out. The thing that makes the rest of it difficult is nothing else gets investigated until three years later. So, now that he's been arrested and charged with murder, they're they've got to go back and do all these other things, and they're really working on three year old information and what they did at that time in the beginning of the trial, the prosecution presents a scenario in which Mark was deeply obsessed with his religion and could not consider a divorce because that would cause him to lose his standing and reputation in the church. He was a deacon in the church. You can't be a deacon, I guess, if you're divorced there, or that's what they said. I don't know if that's true, yeah, um, but I have heard of other cases where Uh, Like, specifically the Melgar case. Um, I listened to the Truth and Justice season on that. And the prosecution in that case made a big deal that, like, Sandra Melgar, because they were um, Jehovah's Witness, that she could not have divorced her husband. And so he had to have been murdered. Otherwise, she would be excommunicated from the church and all these things. And that was their theory. But everyone around Sandy was like, no, that's not the case. And that she didn't feel that way. Like, she she wasn't so hardcore that like um, because one of their friend's daughters had, I guess, withdrew from the church or whatever and was like living in a way that or one of one of their daughter's friends, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. um, was living in a way that was not okay in the eyes of the church or whatever. And everybody else had excommunicated her, but Sandy had not. She she didn't take it so seriously. Gotcha. So that, that was more of a speculation. So in this case, I don't know if his church was that way or not. Um, but that's what the prosecution alleges. And of course, they said also it would cost him a lot of money to get a divorce. They were already in all this debt, all these things. Um, and the defense is like, well, no, you guys just didn't investigate anything. And now you're throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Exactly. So the prosecution played the 911 call and everybody watched Mark. He was obviously upset with his fist to his mouth, his head down and his eyes tight. And that's when I watched him in the trial, that's, I kind of felt like that's how he shows emotion is either like closing his eyes really tight or you could see him. He's sitting there and he's watching whatever is happening, but his jaw is clenching. He's almost like biting down with his mouth closed. You can see that he's doing something. The lead prosecutor, David Walden, claimed that Mark Wengler shouldn't have needed the 911 operator to insist that he check Kathy's breathing and heartbeat. However, his defense attorney points out that Mark was also breathing the carbon monoxide and his brain was being deprived of oxygen. Chief Joseph Kitchen was the first person on the scene the morning of September 4th and testified at the trial. After being escorted to the room where Kathy was, Kitchen said he found Kathy laying with her top half on the air mattress and her legs on the floor. He moved her off the mattress to start CPR. So they were saying Mark should have known that you have to be on a flat surface to perform CPR. And if he knew that, then why would he not have pulled her off of it? and put her on the floor. I would think that. I mean, because he's, he's a medical professional. Right. Exactly. You should know that. Yeah. So they're saying, were you even really trying to do CPR? Because you know full well that if if you're on a mattress or a bed or whatever, or unevenly on two things. Like, a, like stairs or something. Right? Yeah. It's not going to work. Right. So... Walden points out that Mark was not having difficulty walking or talking and was able to relay information to the police after they arrived. Because the defense attorney is like, "Well, he was breathing carbon monoxide too. He was he would have been like disoriented and that could explain why he didn't maybe do all of the steps of CPR properly." And Walden was like, "Well, he didn't have any trouble when we were talking to him. Like he seemed fine. He didn't seem disoriented. He seemed to be walking okay." Um, he said that he thought the CPR attempt was all an act because Kathy was most likely dead before he even called 911. The doctor that saw Kathy in the emergency room testified that her body was cold when Kathy arrived and that Kathy seemed to have been dead much longer. The forensic pathologist, Dr. Diane Scala Barnett, who has performed over 8,000 autopsies at that time, testified that Kathy died one to two hours before Mark, called 911, based, yeah, based on Kathy's body temperature, lividity, rigor mortis, and evaluating her stomach contents. Mark and Kathy also both had their carbon monoxide levels checked. Mark's level was 17% at the hospital, and Kathy's was 70% at the time of her autopsy. According to carboxyhemoglobin charts online, at 17%, Mark would have been experiencing headache, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, fatigue, and blurred vision. At Kathy's level, seizures, cardiac arrest, and ultimately death are triggered. So that matches up. He said he thought she was having a seizure and stuff like that. But um, his defense attorney addressed the medical records in court. He pointed out that there were discrepancies, such as Kathy's body temperature. In one place, it was documented as 40, or I'm sorry, as 94 degrees and 95.5 degrees in other places. In one report, Kathy had been intubated, and in another, she had not because of rigor. They said that um, in that report that her mouth and neck were so stiff that they could not have opened up her airway. Dr. Rena Stein testified to the fact that Kathy's neck was stiff and her mouth was difficult to open. She said Kathy's skin was pale and it was cool to the touch. Now, there's various articles about how long the body takes to cool down from its standard 98.6 degree temperature after death, Assuming the beginning temperature is ninety-eight point six degrees, if we use the standard two degrees in the first hour and then one degree each hour thereafter, and we assume Kathy's temperature was ninety-eight point six to begin with, we're looking at Kathy having been dead three to four hours by the time she arrived at the hospital and was pronounced dead. And the time from the nine one one call to when she pronounced was pronounced dead was, it was like, forty minutes. Yeah, I was say forty minutes or so. Wow. Yeah, less than forty minutes. So that's. A big deal, yeah, that's a big deal, because, you know, he he did say she wasn't breathing, but he did check for a pulse. They told him to. So was he just so disoriented that he was giving CPR to a dead person? I mean, the doctors oh, yeah. tried to revive her, and the paramedics did too. But can a paramedic pronounce somebody dead, or does it have to be I would think it'd have to be a doctor, right? you should have asked your firefighter friend because he used to be a paramedic. He is a paramedic, yeah. That would have been a great question to ask him. So I don't know, but I mean, that, that's, that's a big deal. That would make, and, and she said, she cited other things like the rigor mortis and the libidity and all of those things that she really felt like she had been dead a lot longer than the 40 minutes. Now, how long does the carbon monoxide monitor take If it's all the way in the basement. And the only room that seems to have any high levels is Kathy's room. That's the only room. So the police and I guess the prosecution speculate that what Mark did is he closed off every other vent in the house. And then he took the hoses and put it into the ductwork. And that way it funneled all of it up into just her room. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's sleeping downstairs with the window open and the fan on. Right. So, I don't know. Pictures of the house were shown to the court that were focused on the vent in the room where Kathy slept. So, we're talking about, like, the floor register vent. You know, some are up in the ceilings. Some houses have it in the floor. Ours are in the ceiling here. Ours theirs in were the in floor. the floor. Okay. So, where Kathy was sleeping, there's soot on the wall uh, just above that register. Whoa. I asked about that because Aaron in his interview said we were a family of candle burners. We burn candles all the time. So, like, there were soot marks all over the house because we burn candles all the time. Okay. Okay. I could see that. I sometimes burn candles downstairs. Um, however, I do not put them up against the wall on the floor directly above of an air vent. And when I do, like, I have one at like our entryway table that sometimes I'll light and sometimes there will be soot from that candle above, above it on the wall, not all the way up, you know, to the second floor or the ceiling by any means, but it'll get, you know, a little bit higher up or whatever. I have seen that happen. So to me, you're going to have to put the candle on top of the air vent up against the wall. That's so strange. What did not happen. Exactly. I really don't think that's candles. I really don't think. Um, But the only thing about the police being like, well, he closed all the vents off is they don't know that because they didn't check the vents while they were there. Right. And if they did, they're not specifying that in any of the articles, anything that I watched, like, anywhere. So they're saying he must have closed the vents off. This is another speculation. And he, like, Aaron was like, oh, those marks on that wall were there before I left for college. I just never cleaned them. Hmm. But by the time this three years later, when the police started investigating again, uh, Mark had painted the walls, so they weren't able to test those stains specifically. At autopsy, though, Kathy had no soot in her lungs or her airways. And Dr. Barnett said that there was pink foam in her lungs that indicated she was struggling to breathe. And they said most damning of all were Mark's journals. Sarah, which is Kathy's mom, Told the police that Kathy mentioned that Mark woke up every morning and wrote in his journal. And she wanted the police to search the home for those journals, and that's what they secured the warrant for. Some of the things he said were uh, Lord, Satan has found a weak area to attack me, my marriage, and my family. And then he wrote, Five things I've asked Kathy to improve but has not. Number one, keep the house, cook, clean, make the bed. And one of the, I can't remember who it was, it may have been the sister in law, said that. They never knew Kathy to cook a meal. Like, couldn't name a time that she'd ever cooked a meal. It did not seem that that was a priority to her. Uh, Number two, lose weight. She's gained around 80 pounds in the past 20 years. Okay, so it was over 20 years. I feel judged and rejected by Kathy. She thinks I'm boring in bed. She doesn't really listen to me. I do not trust Kathy. I feel picked on and put down. I'm sensitive and I tend to keep anger inside until I explode. Mark said that the marriage counselor had he had been seeing told him to write this stuff down and to be totally brutally honest. Over time, the journal entries turned almost sinister. Sometimes I feel rage. I feel trapped with no escape. I pray that I can endure life. Please cast Satan and his demons attacking me out of my life for a time. Kathy's family thinks that Mark had started to see Kathy as evil and believe that Satan was working through her. I don't think that that's what that means. I don't get that. I don't see that from what he said their theory was that Mark believed he did what God wanted him to do by killing her. I think that's a stretch. Yeah. I think if he killed her, it was for life insurance money to get him out of debt and to be done with the marriage. Yeah. If if that's what it was. I don't think that this was a God told me to do it. And I don't think that him saying Satan is attacking my marriage and my family. He's he's lumping Kathy into that. He's saying I'm having trouble in my marriage and I believe that that is Satan attacking Us, not me, through Kathy. I don't think he viewed Kathy as the evil party. Right. From those writings, I don't think so. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. But Mark's journals even talked about him having suicidal thoughts from time to time, and he'd considered taking his life by car exhaust. Ooh. In his September 1st entry, he wrote, Dear Lord, I place our marriage on your altar. Please act in a powerful way. And then three days later, Kathy had died. In November's journal entries, Mark writes, so this is a couple months after she's passed away, and I prayed for God to act in a powerful way that night. Little did I know that three nights later, our marriage would be changed forever. And Kathy's mom is like, it sounds like he's thanking God that Kathy's dead. That does sound like that. It does not sound good. No. (laughs) Because if you're going to say, like, (laughs) I don't know, I just... I don't, I don't know. Be like praying for divine intervention and then being like, oh, you just took her out. Okay. Well, that works too. I wasn't, I didn't think about that, but that's great. Like, I'm not sure that that's how that works. (laughs) While the prosecution had circumstantial evidence, they had not yet explained to the jury how the carbon monoxide got through the house or what was used. There were theories, but no one had proven how he'd been able to pull it off. So during final arguments, prosecutor Janet Emmerich talks about Mark's behavior the morning of Kathy's death. Specifically, she talks about how after everything, Mark goes into his house to take a shower. She postulates that if you had thought your wife had just been killed by a faulty hot water heater, as Mark had said, the last thing you want to do is go back in there and take a shower. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Again, you're, you're, Totally trusting this water heater that you're saying just killed your wife earlier. Yeah. And you were not gonna know that it's affecting you until you're dead, exactly. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Like and he's like, just taking a chance, sure. Yeah, like you guys said everything looks okay, so I'm gonna trust that. I don't know what happened last night. No big deal though. Stutting that up. Yeah. You know, that shitty. Baloney. Baloney. She also dissected the 911 call. She called it staged and phony. Um, The defense addresses this as well, saying you can clearly hear the panic in Mark's voice. I would be a terrible 911 call analyst because I believe all of them kind of. I'm like, well, he really does sound upset. Like, I don't know. I would not do well with that because to me, Mark sounds pretty panicked. But I literally like they all I'm like, well, that sounds legit to me pretty much. Like there's a couple maybe that I've heard that I'm like. Like, if Chris, Watt, if Chris Watts had made a 911 call, I would have been, like, baloney. For sure. Mm-hmm. Because he can't even try and care. But, um, I don't know. I, I thought Mark sounded panicked. And then it's also scary because it's, like, either this many people call 911 and they're faking the 911 call, which is terrifying. hmm You know? Because how many people, you don't want to think that that many people can murder somebody and then turn around and act distraught about it. So maybe I just don't want to believe that it could happen. But I don't know. I would be really bad at judging that. I I believe all of them, pretty much. <laughs> um, I think that's also why you can't use that as your only thing. Like, right. you know, there's got to be other stuff. Once I hear all the evidence, then I'm like, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, maybe I can see that. But until then, I'm like, I don't know. It sounds legit to me. I don't know. He points out the prosecution still has not explained how Mark supposedly introduced the carbon monoxide into the vents. He points out that even though carbon monoxide is odorless, car exhaust is not. So they, he's saying that when everybody got there, you should have smelled the car exhaust fumes. If, if you're using a generator, a lawnmower, um, the car itself, like you're going to smell that exhaust. Right. And it should have been pervasive throughout the house, at least in that room, if the carbon monoxide levels were so high. He says that there were no fumes from exhaust found at that time. Kathy's mom and siblings believe that Mark thought he committed the perfect crime, and Aaron and Nathan are like, he didn't do it. I mean, Nathan says, I called my dad and I asked him after he got indicted, did you murder my mother? And he said, no, son, I didn't. And he's like, I believe him. It took the jury two days of deliberation, and on March 28th, 2011, the jury returned a verdict of guilty of aggravated murder. Oh, man. The judge said he was he was not happy with Mark. He said, You violated the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. You also violated the Hippocratic Oath. First do no harm because he was a doctor. See and he hit him hard where it really hurt him probably twice. With the Ten Commandments. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was he ended up being sentenced to life in prison, but he is eligible for parole after twenty five years. He'll be eighty. Esther and his son Aaron are pretty much on a crusade to try to get this appealed. They say that there's some evidence that the prosecution did not turn over. They did not test Kathy's lung tissue. Esther thinks that the jury didn't understand their instructions correctly, or maybe they didn't understand the definition of beyond a reasonable doubt, because um, she feels like there's enough reasonable doubt there. Um, In 2012, an appeal was filed that claimed the evidence found during searches of the Wangler home were obtained with unconstitutional search warrants. The court had allowed testimony from states' experts that they should not have and did not allow testimony from the defense's experts. And another claim was that Dr. Wangler was denied a fair trial as a result of numerous discovery violations that denied him material evidence. At this point, he's exhausted his state appeals and has submitted an appeal to federal court. They claim that his journals should have never been submitted as evidence. And the appellate court actually agreed with that um, because they said they were illegally seized due to the search warrant being written for computer files, not journal entries specifically. Hmm. Um, But the court says that the journals were not damaging, so they didn't overturn the conviction. But the documentary or the... The two shows kind of made it sound like the journals were the most damning evidence of all. So, I don't know. It does kind of sound like it may have changed people's opinion, a jury's opinion. They also claim that the expert for the prosecution that testified about the ductwork should not have been allowed because they didn't test that ductwork until years after Kathy's death. And... They tried to present evidence uh, or an expert that would testify that the material in the ductwork was actually from candles, um, but the judge limited that expert's testimony. Another claim was that witnesses who heard Wangler make certain comments should not have been allowed to testify. And, of course, they're going to use ineffective assistance of counsel because that's what you're going to have to use every time. So they're going to go back and say, my defense, you know, didn't do this or do that or whatever. Right. So that appeal was rejected and the judgment was upheld. Since that appeal, the sheriff of Allen County, Sam Krish, has been indicted for taking bribes. There is a Facebook page, it's the free Mark Wangler Facebook page that claims that Krish had asked Mark Wangler for $50,000 during the investigation. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't, it, it doesn't look good. There are reasons why he could or would have done it. I don't know if I know enough about it to be like, yeah, I would. Put him in jail for. ex that's that's exactly where I am with it. I don't know that it's proved beyond a reasonable doubt, and if we i I feel like he kind of probably did it, but I don't know that they proved it right, and that's why our system is set up the way that it is because if you cannot prove it, that's protecting innocent people yeah i don't I don't necessarily feel like justice has been served in this case, yeah, because if he did do it, I want to know how. I want a gas mask. I want to see the hose that he attached. I want to know, like, because he stayed up in that room with her for a while, long enough to get still, 17%, Yeah, right? it's still pouring in, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that they 100% proved it, and if, if you don't 100% prove it, doesn't work. Yeah. Just just because of everybody else that, I mean, we're doing the confession killer on the Patreon right now. And how many murders did Henry Lee Lucas get convicted of that we know full well? He could not have even been in the area. You should never be able to talk yourself into a murder conviction. Right. There should be evidence. hmm And beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. And so the fact that that can happen is terrifying. And that's why in cases like this where you're not 100% sure... You can't, yeah. Well, hang him. (laughs) Fine, hang him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It's, yeah, I don't know. I, I personally am not sure that they proved murder. Mm Mm-mm. Unfortunately. I don't either. I, my, my gut says he did it. Says maybe he did it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, I don't have enough evidence, I don't think. Mm Mm-mm. That's, that's the case. Let us know what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye! Bye!